You're listening to the iZombie Podcast with Robin and Steph. I'm Robin, and I'm here with a bonus episode tied into our coverage of Rob Thomas's other show, Veronica Mars, which we'll be covering again when the revival launches on Hulu on July 26. Returning to the show today is author Delia Schweitzer, who we previously talked to about iZombie and her book, Going Viral, Zombies, Viruses, and the End of the World. Today, she joins me to talk about her book, L.A. Private Eyes, and of course, everyone's favorite lady PI, Veronica Mars. Welcome back to the iZombie podcast, Delia Schweitzer. Thank you. I'm delighted to have so much in common with you. (laughs) Yes, I know. (laughs) Uh, So... Uh, in going viral, you ended up uh, uh, citing iZombie, and in L.A. Private Eyes, you analyzed Veronica Mars. I'm wondering when your Hollywood Caterers book is going to come out, so you can talk um, about Party Down. <laughs> it, it's actually it's funny because Veronica Mars was not in the original proposal for the book, for the Private mm-hmm. Eyes book, um, and initially it was just going to be Nancy Drew. And then after I'd written the first draft of the book and sent it to my editor, she said, you know, the child sleuth chapter is a little bit short. And I mean, I knew it was going to be short because obviously there's not a ton of child sleuths to discuss, but she was like, it's a little skimpy. And I Mm -hmm. was like, yeah, you're probably right. Because I was was thinking like, oh, I'll talk about Nancy Drew for a hot second and then (laughs) conclude it. And I was like, okay, well, you know, I really need to, um, you know, bring it into the the current century. And then it just kind of like hit me. I can't even, I don't even know. Cause Veronica Mars at that point, nobody was talking about cause you know, the, the original show had aired, the movie had come and gone. It was mm-hmm. not really on my radar. And then I think I was just racking my brain trying to think of teenage or child sleuths who would be in the LA area. And I remembered having watched some episodes of Veronica Mars when it was on TV and I was like, oh, I wonder where that one was set. And then I looked it up and I was like, oh, my God, this is this is the linchpin to hold my book together. And then, of mm. course, it was hilarious because I you know, wrote to Rob and I said, OK, like I'm I promise I'm not building an academic career on constructing <laughs> your work. Um, but it looks like I'm now going to be talking about Veronica Mars in this book. And then it actually uh, it was funny. I was doing an, an, a different podcast. Um, I was cheating on you, and what? I was doing a podcast uh, with somebody. <laughs> there are other else. podcasts. I know there's just a, just a couple, just a couple. Don't okay. feel <laughs> um, And I was doing an interview with uh, with one, and after the interview finished, and we were just sort of chatting, we were talking about iZombie and how she likes iZombie, and then she was talking about how she loved Veronica Mars, and I was saying like, oh, that's really funny because that's the segue into my next book, and mm-hmm. I said, I'll see. I mean, I. I, I I I frequently extend invites to uh, to Rob to join me at various events, and mm-hmm. he's like, I hate like he's like the fewer public events that I have to do better. Um, <laughs> but I was like, you know, I'll, I'll ask him if he wants to do like a kind of like a three way podcast interview where you know it'll be the three of us on our respective phones, and we'll talk first about iZombie and then about Veronica Mars. And he agreed. Hmm. Um, so we there somewhere lurking in the interwebs. There's this amusing interview where we talk about you know live more Veronica Mars zombies the end of the world detecting. I mean it's kind of like like some kind of weird fever dream of all my various interests. Yeah, he's awesome. We had him on the show uh, before, probably around the second season, and I've been kind of bugging bugging him to come on our podcast again. He's he's been so busy with Veronica Mars. So busy. 
he said maybe towards the end of iZombie, I said, that's perfect. You know, maybe you can come, you know, say goodbye to, you know, live more. And then you can kind of tease Veronica Mars. So hopefully he'll have time to do that. I know. I don't know if you saw. He posted um, a photo of, uh, of Veronica Mars script that he was working on where he accidentally referred to her as live more. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> he, was, and he, he was saying something like, you know, clearly like my brain can't handle everything that's going on. <laughs> he had like a Clive in there, I believe. <laughs> yeah, it was something. It was, it, was, it was like just this weird. I mean, you know, and let's be honest, like live more and Veronica Mars would probably get along. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, maybe one day he could propose to Hulu doing some weird crossover show. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and actually, you know. You have some more fodder for his upcoming pro- project. I mean, I mean, I think he's uh, involved in the uh, Lost Boys CW show, so maybe oh, a he? yeah, maybe a vampire book would be a a good subject to write about. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, the last time I don't, I always feel like I'm bugging him too much. The last <laughs> time he told me what he was working on was before Veronica Mars had been confirmed, and I think he had something like four different projects yeah. that were being pitched and piloted and whatever. So I was like, I don't know how you keep it all straight. Um, well, I'm a big fan of that movie, Lost Boys, so yeah, I'm looking sure. forward to it. I'm not sure if I'll start a podcast about it, but I might be really tempted because <laughs> really? uh, Zombie's been so much fun. I don't know. I know there was, some, there was some show that he was working on where the title had to do with the end of the world. Mm. And, and I just know when he sent that to me and I was like, okay, Rob, we might need some time apart because clearly we're, <laughs> we're just, we're converging a little bit too intensely. Yeah. Uh, so uh, before Veronica, you know, you were writing this book about LA private eyes. So what, what kind of drew you to it? What, what, what interested you? It's funny. Uh, somebody asked me the other day, like why I wanted to write this book. And my answer was I didn't actually, Hmm. Um, I wanted to read this book and <laughs> I tried to find it. Uh, I was putting together a course on the private detective in film, television and, and literature, um, a few years back. And, you know, there's a gazillion books about LA noir. So I figured, you know, there's gotta be at least a handful about the LA private detective because mm-hmm. to me, they're, you know, hand in glove. Yeah. And I was searching and I couldn't find anything. And I was like, what is this about? And then it ended up being a huge pain because I was putting together the syllabus for this course. And rather than being able to, you know, rely on a book and then kind of a, a few supplementary materials, I had to, you know, I pulled an article from here and a chapter from here and an excerpt from here. And I was just like, oh, why isn't there a book? Mm-hmm. And then before I'd even finished going viral, I was talking with my editor at Rutgers, Leslie Michener. And I thought we were just sort of idly chatting, you know, because going viral was sort of in the production process. And so she would just kind of say, like, oh, you know, what other books have you thought about writing? And I was saying, like, oh, I just find it so weird that there isn't a book written about the private detective in Los Angeles because it's such a classic archetype. And she was like, yeah, you're right. There isn't one. That's very strange. And then blah, 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 chatted about the weather, whatever. And then a week later, she emails me and she says, uh, well, I proposed your private detective's idea in our editor's meeting and everyone's very excited. So if you could just put together a proposal, we can move ahead. And I was like, wait, what? 
<laughs> like I, I, and that's why if you look in the acknowledgments, it says something like um, that I thank her for tricking me into writing the book. <laughs> I think I saw that. Yeah. Yeah, because I hadn't even finished going viral at that point, <laughs> um, and I think she at that point she wanted the the private eyes book like within six months or something, and I was still doing the index for the private for the the zombie book, and I was just like, oh my god, I need a little more time, like settle down. <laughs> um, and so that's kind of how the book happened. It wasn't like this burning desire that I'd had for years to write the book. It just kind of happened. You wanted to read one. So you figured, yeah, yeah. I just, and I was kind of, you know, and I think sort of like with my book on, um, the movie office killer, I'm, I'm intrigued by the things that people don't talk about. Mm-hmm. Like when it just seems like there's like this weird gap and it's sort of just confusing to me. Cause it's like, okay, well what, you know, like, Kind of with Cindy Sherman as an example, it's like, okay, there are a gazillion books about her photos and nobody's writing about her movie? Like, what is that about? That's weird. And that's what, you know, drew me to write the book on the movie. So it's this kind of, I don't know, I think I'm, I'm drawn to things that are sort of ignored or overlooked or dismissed or whatever. So uh, last time we talked about, you know, the, the research you did into going viral, you know, watching all these different zombie movies. Uh, you know, you probably did a lot of rewatches or just straight up yep. watches of things for LA Private Eyes. What were, what were some of your favorites? Um, it's funny because the Long Goodbye was one that was a chore. I can't, yeah. I can't deal with that movie. I had to watch it, but it's like I just find it so depressing. Isn't it? Um, Alt- isn't that Altman? Yeah, yeah, and yeah, it's I can all never about get into how, his movies. It's just, it's all about how, like, you know, Philip Marlowe. Uh, can't hack it anymore and how he's like out of place and it's sort of you know the the Watergate Vietnam era when everyone was like really depressed and it's just it's a very bleak movie Mm. um and then so that was that's an example of one that I was like oh god I guess I gotta watch this (laughs) and then The Big Sleep I'm always amused that no matter how many times I watch that movie there's still things that are so confusing that you just have to kind of be like, I'm just going to let that one go because I'm not really sure what's happening there. Uh, Chinatown doesn't age. Chinatown oh, is yeah. like, it's, it's amazing. It's like that movie, it just, it just, it feel, I mean, it's, you know, it's obviously like a period piece, but it feels like it could have been a period piece that was made last week. So that it's was really great. good. Yeah. I love that um, one. And Remington steel, the television show, huh. Uh, is on Hulu and I started watching it because I figured, you know, I was like, oh, I got to watch a couple episodes to write about it. And then I kept watching it and kept watching it and kept (laughs) watching it because I really enjoyed it. And I found it to be lively, fun, like it, it has a great sense of humor. I watched way more episodes than I needed to for sort of quote unquote (laughs) academic research. Um, I don't think there are any uh, Remington Steel podcasts out there, so you might want to jump on that one. Yes, yes. I, <laughs> <laughs> that's what I need. I need, I need more projects. Um, moonlighting, I couldn't get into. Oh, moonlighting, really? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I remember when it came out, and it was, like, really exciting and cool and different. Um, and that one I just couldn't really get into this time around. Veronica Mars was an utter delight. But I couldn't believe how many episodes there were <laughs> because we're so used to, you know, with like with iZombie, we have the little like the mini season. Yeah. So with Veronica Mars, because I needed, I felt like I needed to watch every episode. 
And I was just like, oh, my God. Like, I was enjoying it. I'm not complaining. But I was mm-hmm. just like, oh, my God, there's still, like, 25 more episodes left to go. I mean, it was <laughs> just – I think we're just not used to that because so few shows do that these days. Yeah, it's true. Mars, especially season one was just, like, again, timeless. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so you – Write about different types of detectives in your book. Um, did you want to tell us a little bit about each kind of type that you sure. wrote about? Um, this, again, goes back to my weird methodology. So in addition to being intrigued by things that are ignored or dismissed, I'm also fascinated by patterns. And <laughs> it's actually what it originally inspired the Going Viral book is that I kept seeing these outbreak narratives on TV and on the big screen. And in many ways, they stayed exactly the same year after year after year. But then there'd be certain subtle shifts. And I'd be like, okay, well, what's if, you know, 80% is the same. What, what, how do you explain that 20% that evolved? And it's kind of the exact same thing with the private detective where, you know, I think Philip Marlowe is really seen as sort of like, he like set the mold. Um, you know, he was the sort of like the, the preeminent private eye in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And in many ways, a current private detective, and I, I talk about um, the character played by Matthew McConaughey in the movie The Lincoln Lawyer, and in the book, you know, based on the book, um, The Lincoln Lawyer is like a series. Uh, the parallels between Mickey Holler, The Lincoln Lawyer, and Philip Marlowe, I mean, it's, it's like one is the doppelganger of the other. Oh, so. And that, I mean, that's fascinating because, you know, it's like they're decades in between and it's Mm. like, yet we're still doing the same. It's like the same archetype. Um, And so that pattern interested me. And then, of course, I was interested in where that pattern diverged and the the places where it sort of diverges the most significantly is when the private detective is an African-American, which happens very, 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 very rarely, Mm -hmm. when the private detective is a woman, which also happens very rarely, Mm -hmm. or lastly, in the case of Veronica Mars, when the private detective is a child. So in most of the cases, the private eye is white, male, um, he's single, he could have been divorced, or he could you know be single, but he's he's not definitely not like happily married. He doesn't have kids. He's always sort of uh, wandering the streets of L.A. He's going from the north to the south, east to the west. He's putting together you know his clues based on the people that he's meeting and the things that he's seeing. But it's like white male, white male, white male, and most of the time also heterosexual. Yeah. Uh, so. That's why when you look at a character like Easy Rollins, who is the private eye but African-American, it becomes interesting to kind of compare and contrast. And then it becomes interesting to compare and contrast what happens when the private eye is a female because it's like everything falls apart. Like you switch the gender over and it's like everything comes tumbling down. It's like it's crazy. It's like even in 2019 – you make the female private. You have a female private eye, and it's like, oh my god, the math doesn't work. Like it just, it can't. <laughs> uh, yeah, I um, I noticed. Uh, you, you, I was reading mainly the the girl sleuth uh, chapter, and yes. you said something about how um, uh, it's funny how most girl sleuth uh, stories happen in you know smaller towns rather than the big city, as if like I don't know they can't make much of an impact in in 
like the bigger cities, like there's less, right. is it less threatening maybe to put your char- a character like that in, into a big city like that or? Yeah, I know like when I was asking Rob about why uh, Veronica Mars was set in Neptune, which is, you know, an hour or two outside of Los Angeles rather than Los Angeles proper. And he said, uh, you know, it didn't didn't matter if it was north or south of Los Angeles, but it just had to be a little bit outside so that it could feel more realistic that you have this teenage girl who waltzes into the police department and says, you're not doing your job right. Here's what yeah. you're overlooking or whatever. So that it was, yeah, the, if, if she'd been in Los Angeles, it would have, it just would have felt too implausible. Right. Um, which I think is interesting, but again, it's sort of like, well, that's one of the reasons why I'm so curious about the, the reboot because now she's no longer a child. So is the entire reboot going to be confined to Neptune? Does she, you know, get out to the big city more? Like, I'm kind of curious to see how they deal with that. Okay. <laughs> I thought you said furious at first. I was like, oh God, no. Oh, <laughs> I'm, like, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> no, very curious. Very yeah. curious. Although, as you you probably noticed, I had some mixed feelings about the movie. Uh, Mm. So I'm also curious to see if the reboot kind of reaffirms some of the arguments made in the movie or if it sort of goes in a total different direction. Yeah, we should definitely uh, get into that. Um, So, well, first thing I wanted to say, you, you, you... in the Girl Sleuth chapter, you go from, you know, Nancy Drew until Veronica Mars. And uh, I love that you note how Veronica references Nancy in the show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Several <laughs> the, times, yeah. The the uh, Logan saying she sucks at this Nancy Drew stuff. Uh, Keith and Veronica as Carson and Nancy. Did did you actually catch the one in the movie? It, I, I had no idea until I read, like, IMDb trivia and that I didn't even get it. Remind me, and I'll tell you. Maybe I missed it. What uh, so, so in the scene where Veronica needs to get into Ruby's apartment, she goes and talks to like the Ruby's landlord, maybe. Okay, I remember that. And she says she's a Hollywood agent. She's lo- doing location scouting for Clint Eastwood. She calls herself Pamela Martin, and Pamela Sue Martin played Nancy Drew in the 1970s. Wow! <laughs> so no, it's like one of those. Three levels deep, kind of. <laughs> yeah, that was too many levels for me. Clearly, that yeah, I, told, I didn't, I didn't realize. get that. Wow, that's fascinating. No, I clearly totally missed that. But you know, it's funny because it's like the writers, are like, yes, this. Obviously, we owe a lot to Nancy Drew, you know. But I, it almost says like the characters are fans of Nancy Drew, or at least you know Veronica and Keith might be. Right. Uh, that they would uh, uh, even call themselves. You know, Nancy Drew characters or or actors, even. No, clearly, I mean, clearly, I think, yeah, it, it's it's way too overt to be accidental. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, one thing that Veronica gets from uh, earlier noir films is the voiceover narration. Some people yes. have like accused this trope of uh, being kind of lazy in storytelling, but I can't imagine mm-hmm. Veronica Mars without it, or like really any private eye story without some voiceover narration. What do you think about that? I I think that I mean voice, there's a reason why voiceover is such an uh, integral component for both private eye narratives and noir narratives. You know that you and the idea like sort of um, I think one of the best examples is Sunset Boulevard, where the you know it, it, the voiceover is coming from beyond the grave. You know, oh. like the the narrator has already died and he's like, let me tell you my story. Um, so I think. 
I don't think it's lazy. I think it's it's a stylistic choice. Um, and I think it is especially significant for the private detective story because the whole idea is that the world is this like dizzying spider web of corruption and you need the private eye to metaphorically take your hand and lead you through it, mm-hmm. you know? And so you need the voiceover to kind of be the through line because you're not going to get like you have a different, you have different kinds of mystery stories where, you know, you, you listen to the conversations that the detective is having, and then you kind of put two and two together and it's a sort of performative thing. And I think also like if you have an ensemble cast, like with law and order SVU, it would be totally weird if Olivia Benson was suddenly giving you a voiceover because the idea is, is, you know, it's almost like you're watching a play, you know, and you're watching this collective drama unfold. But the the sort of the idea behind the private detective story is that you've got this one person who is your eyes and ears, who is leading you through this, you know, swamp of evil or whatever. And so I think the voiceover is integral. Yes, it can be lazy writing in other types of stories for sure like i'm not saying it's always you know this admirable thing but i think especially for noir and private eye stories it it's it's essential because that's i mean i couldn't even imagine um veronica mars without her because you'd have no idea what was going on i mean the whole point is that she's your eyes and ears yeah and and really uh you get uh, you get. I don't know. The, the show is also very humorous, so you get even more jokes on. Oh, you of know, <laughs> through yeah. that way too. Beloved snarky commentary. Oh, so good. And uh, yeah. So when did you did, did you start watching Veronica w- w- when you were re- researching the book? Was that when you first started, or? Yeah, I remembered. I'd seen like a couple episodes. I don't even know when. It, mm-hmm. I don't remember how old I was when it was on the air the first time. I just remember like you know, like being at a friend's house and it was like, oh, that's Veronica Mars, and like watching like an odd episode. Mm-hmm. But um, it was only like enough that it sort of registered that it had happened. But I wasn't, you know, a dedicated fan and. I don't. I didn't even really know much about Rob Thomas before I Zombie, mm-hmm. so I was definitely yeah. you know uh, a a fan of I Zombie before I was a fan of Veronica Mars. And I remember you know hearing about the Kickstarter campaign and you know the the movie, but I was it was just kind of you know under my radar. And then when I had that, that epiphany where I was like, oh my God, Veronica Mars could be the answer to it all. <laughs> and then I started watching the show and I was like, wow, there is so much here. Yeah. I, I got into it late myself. Not, not that late, but you know, after it, after it had been canceled and you know, I'd seen all the promotion for it and uh, I was just like, okay, this is probably another teen show, but it, it's interesting because it's, it, it seems to revolve around a, a, you know, a teenage girl detective. So I, I, I was kind of drawn to it, but I, you know, I never actually sat down and watched it. I let it pass me by. But uh, after I, I started uh, soon after it was canceled and I just felt so guilty watching it. <laughs> I was like, why wasn't I supporting the show when it was on the air? But this is why as soon as I zombie was announced, I was like, Nope, I'm uh, starting a podcast. I'm supporting this uh, in Rob. Aww. We trust. <laughs> Yeah, I think when I was a kid, it's sort of funny. I I was very much of a traditionalist. 
Mm-hmm. So I was watching and reading Sherlock Holmes, Agatha Christie, you know, so to me, the idea of a teenage private eye, that was like too frivolous for me. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I think I didn't I didn't appreciate it then. Does she have a pipe? I don't know. I'm not sold yeah, yet. <laughs> There's too much snark. Like, How many yeah, pipes I, does she solve the problems in? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It, no, no, I was I was way too mature for that. Yeah. Um, and then I and then, of course, in retrospect, it's like, whoa, there's a lot happening here. But, yeah, I think it's I mean, I think it's easy to, even with iZombie. Um, I think I mentioned this when we did that conversation that I'd seen the ads for a while and was sort of like, ah, it's another zombie show. Yeah. Um, and then one of my students actually was like, you need to watch this show. Mm. And I was like, okay. And it had, you know, it, it had been on my list for a while. Like I was going to get around to it. Um, but again, I totally underestimated it. And then I started watching it and was like, whoa, you know, there's like, I think there's there's so much sort of social commentary and subtext that's woven into both those shows that I was like, wow, people are really missing out by not watching these. Yeah, what grabs me, uh, you know, starting Veronica Mars is really, you know, the setup. It's not it's not just like watching. Um, I was like, oh, this teenage girl is going to solve some uh, mystery in her school, like an Encyclopedia Brown or something like that. Uh, this is about a, a girl and a father who like fall from grace and uh, in, in like the public eye. And, but the the good thing is, you know, you side with Veronica and Keith in, in all things because pretty much everybody else is the worst. <laughs> you know? Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> like everybody who has a problem with them are complete a holes. <laughs> right. I don't know if you saw um, the original intro for the show, which I think was released on the DVD. Um, uh, yes. I can't I, remember it. <laughs> I have it like on a hard drive somewhere. Um, but it, it was basic. I mean, it was like the big sleep. Like it starts, mm. it's like, it, it really plays up her sort of private eye um, kind of aesthetic. And she's like, you know, watching like a philandering husband or something. And she's, it's very noir, very neon, very gritty. Uh, and I guess, I don't know if it was the network or someone was like, no, 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 no. We got to pump up the high school factor, high school yeah. factor. Uh, that sounds and, like a network decision to me. <laughs> yeah. And so then that's where you get the, the, the voiceover where she's talking about like, you know, this is net, like, this is my school where there's no middle class, mm. you know, and you, you kind of see like the kids streaming into school. So that became the, the, that would replace this very kind of seedy, grim, noir, neon, um, opener, which I think. I mean, yes, I get, I get why the network was like, we got to get the teenagers. But at the same time, I think that would have helped position the show. Um, it kind of it would have just would have helped present the show as for what, it's more of what a kind of a cultural reference point it was. Mm-hmm. Um, which reminds me, totally out of the blue, I don't know if you ever saw the movie Barbed Wire with Pamela Anderson. No. So Barbed Wire came out mid nineteen nineties, and fantastic. I'm very proud of the fact that I was one of the few people who saw it in theaters. And for some reason, nobody talked about the fact that Barbed Wire is a remake of Casablanca with the gender roles reversed. Yeah, and Pamela Anderson plays the Humphrey Bogart character um, in Casablanca. And it's set, it's it's not um, set in the past, it's set in the future. And so instead of passports, 
they need um, these like contact lenses that show your identity for like a retinal scan. Um, but other than that, it's Casablanca. She owns a bar. I mean, it's it's crazy. But like to me, that's huge, and nobody talks about that. So I think I think it's kind of like kind of like with Veronica Mars, where they're like, oh, it's a show for teenagers. Um, you know, and then with, with barbed wire, they were like, oh, it's just Pamela Anderson. Yeah. Um, and it's like, wait, there's actually more going on here. Why are we not talking about this? Hmm. I'll have to check it out. You have to check out barbed wire. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, 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 a, it's a total, like maybe one day I'll write an article about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, Veronica is, uh, a victim of rape. Uh, something that gets resolved at the end of season one and then resolved again at the end of season two. Um, I, I got to say during the rewatch that uh, Steph and I did, like just rape comes up again and again on the show. And it just, I don't know. It, it was something that uh, we got increasingly uncomfortable about. I mean, mm-hmm. especially when it came to the Hearst rape case. Um, and I'm not sure if you remember, but there was this whole uh, thing where, uh, there was actually a bunch of women pretending they got raped in order to draw attention to, you know, a bad frat, even though there was actually a rapist on campus that it wasn't helping uh, the case with. So, you know, that was... This was in a later season, right? Yeah, that was third season. Okay, yeah. I I, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Uh, Did... did, Were you troubled at all? I mean, I'm definitely... um, you know, in support of, you know, people feeling comfortable with telling if something like that happens to them. And maybe that's right. more of an empowering thing. But it did, did seem to be a a, a plot point that uh, came up quite a bit. I'm not sure if you <laughs> had the same thoughts. I actually I, I actually hadn't um, kind of put those together. I think I just sort of assumed that, you know, given the target audience, yeah, this was you know, an, an issue that probably affected a lot of the girls watching the show. I mean, maybe not necessarily directly, but it was kind of like, you know, well, you know, everyone has a friend who kind of thing. And I think also it's, it's one of those crimes where it's not murder, but it's still pretty serious. Yeah. So it's kind of like, you know, like obviously if in season one, uh, you know, Veronica had been mugged. That it would have totally, it wouldn't have had the same impact. Mm-hmm. So I kind of saw it more from like a nar- a narrative point of view, and it's you know it just also just symbolically as it's you know it's a way of of really um, you know stealing someone's identity, stealing someone's autonomy, stealing someone's agency. You know, like it's just it's on a symbolic level, it's like so violating. Um, and yeah. so that's, that's just kind of what I assumed they were getting at. Oh, for sure. Um, I almost thought of it as, uh, this is a teenage girl. Uh, it's not like she can roll up on a murder scene every week. Exactly. No, exactly. exactly. So, yeah. so it's like a way of being serious without yeah. escalating to murder. Yeah. What, what, what were some, do you remember any of your like favorite cases from Veronica Mars that you particularly enjoyed? Maybe any, uh, you know, oh, Huge arcs, or maybe even ones from uh, certain episodes at all. Um, this is me uh, totally losing any academic credibility I have whatsoever. 
but um, my most compelling plot point is the relationship between Logan and Veronica. Oh, all right. Okay. Uh, I, and it's funny because when the show first starts, he's annoying. Yeah. And you're just kind of like, you're like, what's his deal? Um, but, and I'm terrible at names. So I forgot the name of the guy that she was dating before Logan. Um, oh, Duncan. Duncan, yes. Uh, and I felt like she and Duncan had no chemistry. Mm. Like it was like, I feel like every scene they were together, uh, it was just kind of like, hmm, I feel like I'm missing something here. And then there's that scene where um, Logan and Veronica are, I don't know if they're like outside her apartment. They're outside on like some kind of. Um, oh, he like- just uh, rescued her from uh, Jonathan yeah. Taylor Thomas. Okay. <laughs> and. And it, it was just funny because like, I, I legit did not see that coming. Yeah. Um, and maybe it's because I don't watch, you know, enough Ryan Gosling movies or something. But like <laughs> I, I was caught off guard and I was just like, whoa, that's fascinating. Mm-hmm. And then I was really fascinated then by the disintegration of their dynamic in season three. And then fascinated by how their dynamic was sort of recalibrated in the movie. Right, right. I so definitely it's funny because uh, you know skip down to a later question. I actually had a question for you: is who do you think should be together, Veronica and Logan, or Veronica and Logan? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so it sounds like you kind of agree with me. <laughs> well, uh, the problem is that Veronica and Logan have to figure out how to make their dynamic work without Logan feeling like the third wheel and uh, Veronica and her dad being the sort of power couple. Mm-hmm. So that's where the plot thickens. Yeah. It, it was interesting how, you know, he's, you know, he, this, the spark first happened after he rescued her. He laid out yep. Jonathan Taylor Thomas. They had this, you know, like, Holy cow. And, you know, fireworks kiss uh, outside this hotel room mm-hmm. and then you know he continues wanting to be the rescuer i mean yeah. one of the scariest scenes in veronica mars is when uh liam fitzpatrick has her down on that pool table and mm-hmm. i was so happy when logan comes in with the gun but uh and then he's you know when he throttles that awful guy in the uh season three finale mm-hmm. uh he just can't help himself <laughs> right because he loves her. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he he needs to re- he needs to rescue. He needs to feel like he's not just a sidekick. Um, and I think for Veronica, it's a little bit hard to figure out how to do that because that's not a dynamic that she's really familiar with. Yeah, and and how worried he got uh, when that the Hearst rapist pretty much was targeting her. And, yeah. and, uh, he wanted to protect her. Um, but and she wouldn't let him, she wouldn't let him. Yeah. Yeah. And now, and now he's in the Navy. Yeah. <laughs> so, which again, as I said in the book might work out okay because he's not there 24 seven. So he can sort of go off and do his thing, you know, without mm-hmm. feeling like he's competing with Keith Mars. And then maybe he comes back and then they, you know, everything is great. And then he goes away again. Like, I'm just kind of curious to see if the Navy, the Navy thing uh, stays in the reboot. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Because it does 
cause I mean I remember the first book came out and a lot of that story uh, Veronica and Logan are talking over Skype so a lot of the uh, uh, Logan Veronica shippers were upset that they didn't have more <laughs> relationship stuff Veronica was uh, investigating a case um, interesting so I'll see how it happens in the uh, in the revival but um, yeah so uh, I mean, there are some big cases. There was the, the Lily Kane case. I think mm-hmm. the first season is so great, you know? Yes, the first season is perfect. Um, and then there was uh, uh, finding out exactly what happened uh, the night of Veronica's rape and who actually did it. And, and then finding out later uh, more information <laughs> that actually it was uh, Beaver that did it. No. Yeah, I thought that was... That just kind of, it felt like that was like the, the subplot that wouldn't die. Yeah. You know, like where you, you kept thinking like, okay, it's been resolved. And mm-hmm. then it's like, nope, here's another wrinkle to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Steve Gutenberg as a pedophile, that was not something that, I, uh, I mean, good for him for uh, uh, stretching out, you know, his acting resume. Right, uh, but it was definitely something I was like, "Oh, I don't know what I don't want to see that. I don't want that." Steve Gutenberg, he's always like the good guy. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like Rob makes some very interesting casting choices, which mm-hmm. I love. Um, but I'm always sort of amazed at like you know who's going along with it. Mm-hmm. Now I noticed you didn't devote a chapter to uh, Vinnie Van Lowe. Um, I'm no. wondering uh, why. Why was that? <laughs> uh, because Vinnie Van Lowe is sort of, you know, uh, the poor man's Philip Marlowe. <laughs> <laughs> so it would be redundant. Did, did uh, Philip have his, uh, his, have his mother as his receptionist and <laughs> wear fake man. mustaches? Yeah. The poor man Philip Marlowe. Yes, the poor man Philip Marlowe would have been forced to use his mom, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, Vinnie Van Lowe is just hilarious. Like, I think that's, I think that's, you know, uh, Rob and his writers making fun of the, the sort of like the, cla- I mean, I think that's like making fun of the classic private eye and sort of showing the inherent failures also because it's like, okay, well, if you have this private detective who can't sustain a functional relationship, then yeah, it makes sense that his mom would be his receptionist. Yep. Yep. Um, in my rewatch, I mean, we, we, We've talked before about how a zombie in iZombie, you know, Rob Thomas kind of bucks uh, conventional storytelling, kind of zigs when you think he's going to zag. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I was a little confused how to feel about uh, a couple cases as we were doing the rewatch. Um, maybe you could tell me what you think. Uh, uh, Mars versus Mars, where Veronica is firmly on the side of her teacher when a, a girl accuses her, accuses him of uh, getting her pregnant. Do you remember that one that was on with the uh, with Adam Scott? Um, I also thought that one was weird. Yeah, it was and hard seeing Veronica just uh, be like, like not believe the girl. <laughs> yeah, and you kind of you sort of just like I, I kept wondering, like I kept thinking that there was going to be like there was another twist to the story, like she was faking it in order to get the you know someone to reveal something to her. But mm-hmm. yes, I agree that one felt very strange. Yeah, she ended up faking. She she actually was faking it, but it was because it was a friend of hers was actually pregnant that he was. Okay. She was trying to out him about. Uh, another one that I I thought of while you know uh, writing some notes down, uh, drinking the Kool Aid. 
where a student gets sucked into a cult and Veronica ends up siding with the cult <laughs> over oh the parents. Oh my God. I, I vaguely remember that one. <laughs> well, and what was, what was the justification for siding with the cult? Uh, they just were nice people. They were just nice people. And it turned out the parents were trying to uh, brainwash him into being an O-Niner again, basically a stuck-up O-Niner. So he gets whisked away in a limo and then comes back and he's just like a jerk all over right. again, you know? I remember, I remember this. I remember this. <laughs> but I was like, this is a this is a weird move to like go, well, sometimes cults are okay. Like sometimes they're just yeah. hippies hanging out in a field. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you wonder if it's just, if it's just Rob being like, ha ha, you thought I was going to do yeah. X and here's yeah. why instead. Because yes, you don't expect that at all because traditionally, you know, cults are always portrayed uh, as being sort of like the evil thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, then the kid is pulled out and he becomes a jerk in his head. Um, so, uh, what did you think? I guess, uh, let's get into what you thought of the movie. Uh, you said you're, um, mixed about it maybe, or I was mixed about mm-hmm. it. Um, I was, you know, utterly delighted of course, to see Veronica and Logan palling around again. Yeah. Um, but I, and I was, you know, happy to see her. Like, it was funny. I don't know if you've seen they have the the season four of Veronica Mars that never yes. happened where she's supposed yes. to be an FBI agent. You know, and you're sort of like, thank God that didn't happen. <laughs> I really didn't want to have to see that. And, like, thank God she doesn't take the job at the law firm because I don't want to see, you know, her as some, like, overworked associate. Yeah. You know, like, working for the man. So it's sort of like, I'm glad. I'm really glad that didn't happen. I'm glad that, you know, she was pulled back to Neptune. I was just sort of concerned by the repeated, repeated emphasis on detecting as being her her vice, her addiction, her weakness, rather than being sort of embraced as her talent. Yeah. You know, like I just I, I didn't understand why over and over and over again, the movie keeps letting us know that, you know, detecting is this horrible thing that she'd be so much better off if she was able to walk away from it, but she can't because she's an addict and she's just stuck in this cycle over and over again. And Oh no, now she's back in Neptune. And so to me, that was very perplexing. Well, I mean, I came to it as, uh, you know, it's been, it had been nine years. Right. She says in that interview with Jamie Lee Curtis, um, that she studied uh, psychology for a while and then I think then moved to New York. I think she gets a bachelor's in psychology or something. Mm-hmm. So she did all this like self uh, analysis and I don't – perhaps it wasn't uh, correct. But at the end of the third season, she, her her sleuthing causes her dad to – I mean obviously Keith didn't have to wipe uh, the DVR and to, to – take Veronica off. Basically, Veronica was caught on camera uh, Mm -hmm. breaking into the Kane's house and Keith wiped the DVR that uh, had it on there. Mm -hmm. And so, because of that, he then loses uh, the sheriff job because, you know, the movie didn't state whether they brought him up on charges or if he just, you know, resigned. Um, He was acting sheriff at the time. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think she kind of blames herself uh, for that. And I, you know, I think she blames herself for a lot of the um, problems that you know she 
feels like she causes because she's has to get at the bo- bottom of things. She mm-hmm. she's uh it, it's it's weird. It was weird in the third season. Um, she she had this uh, way about her sometimes where she really wouldn't care about other people, and mm-hmm. you know I wasn't sure if that was a you know a, a writing choice or if that was uh, that's where they wanted to uh, push the character like make her colder. Like there was one mm-hmm. part where she was like trying to get this prostitute uh, free from her pimp. So she was she blackmails the judge that's the prostitute's favorite client, uh, and, um, and and so he will give them money to pay off the pimp. Right. <laughs> Whereas, like, the, it, you know, yeah, the judge was breaking the law by you know getting a prostitute, but it doesn't mean you need to blackmail him. He didn't do anything wrong except for the whole legal thing. Yeah, it, it definitely felt harsh. Yeah. I don't know, season three was, I think, just weird full stop. Like, mm. I think it's it's kind of, it's harder to get a sense of who she is as a person, um, and not to be, you know, overly preoccupied with Logan. But mm. I think the dynamic that she has with Logan in season three is also really weird. You know, and yeah. sometimes she kind of, she's kind of a jerk to him. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah, there was some times we were discussing the show uh, during season three, where it, where like all of a sudden we find out that uh, Logan slept with Madison over the holidays out of nowhere, and I'm like, the writers right. just want to tear Logan and Veronica up one more time, yeah, uh, and pair her up with Piss because they like they they want to you know sell the, sell that that relationship for a while, you know, maybe right. they're thinking Veronica and Logan in the end, but I, I don't know, maybe. It was getting stale for them to figure out a way to make it interesting. But still, I was like, no, it, he wouldn't have done that. Ah. No, I, it, yeah, there were, just, there were a bunch of things in season three that I, I was like, I don't buy that. Yeah. Um, but and so, yeah, I don't know if they were like, I don't, yeah, I, don't, I have no idea what was going on behind the scenes. So I don't know if, yeah. you know, they were, they were like, okay, well, this Logan thing is getting stale. We got to mix it up. Or if, Something that had stuff that had worked so well in high school, suddenly they were like, "Well, it's not really translating to college." I mean, I don't know why Gossip Girl, uh, I thought, translated seamlessly from high school to college. So hmm. obviously, like, it can be done. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not sure why the show had the problems that it did in season three. Yeah, and it would have been very weird to graduate or to the FBI. Because they oh were my God. pretty much yeah. like flash forward a few years later, like the the CW won't give us won't let us just continue on the natural flow of things. Maybe Veronica eventually in the FBI would have been cool, but you know it would have been nice to see her go through college or just you know FBI internship. She was flirting with they were flirting with that. Um, so well, the whole the whole point of Veronica, much like the point of the private eye, is that she's not a team player. Yeah, and so. The idea of making her part of the FBI, I feel it just like it, to me. I was like, whose weird dream was that? Because <laughs> it's like it doesn't compute. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, but you know, there might have been some good uh, drama rot out of trying to fit her square peg into the FBI's round hole. Sure. You know, <laughs> of, course. of course. And maybe that's maybe that was the the sort of the gimmick. Yeah. I, I just know that that doesn't doesn't necessarily come across in the trailer. No. Um, so who knows what I, what grand ideas they have that will never see the light of day. Um, so, you know, when it comes back to the whole uh, addiction thing, I do think that, you know, 
to, to me, maybe they were looking back on Veronica and seeing how uh, she felt kind of tortured about some of the things she did in order to get by. Like, she, gosh, she she built a website to <laughs> to uh, like gay shame uh, a um, a high school student into breaking up with his girlfriend at one point. <laughs> <laughs> like, like uh, I don't know if oh you remember God, that I'd one. Oh my God, I'd forgotten about that. Oh my God, I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, also very weird. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, I don't know. I, I, I almost think that Veronica might have, you know, costing her father his job um, and, you know, made her think, okay, this, this, is, this is wrong. I need to stop doing this. And maybe just, I don't know, classify it as an addiction. I, I don't know. Hmm. It's good to think about it. And so as we uh, uh, get into, you know, July this year, I mean, we have the revival coming back. So what do you – what would you like to see in the revival? Um, I would like to see Veronica Mars, you know, bring the private eye into the 21st century and demonstrate mm. that, yes, the private eye can be female without the archetype falling, you know, falling in on itself. Um, and just kind of embrace it, you know, and be be the Veronica Mars that she was in season one, but kind of successfully adapt that to life as an adult. And I don't know if that means that she, you know, Keith retires and she takes over the agency or you know, what exactly the parameters are going to be. Um, but that's what I would love to see. Did you ever watch uh, Jessica Jones? I watched... A little bit of it, mm-hmm. and I know people love it. I couldn't get into it. Yeah, the second season is a little rough, but I, I enjoyed the first season, and yeah, um, that also has a kind of a a, a rape, uh, you, you know, backstory as well. Um, mm-hmm. She gets kind of brainwashed and raped over and over again, and then Seth, and then she breaks free of the brainwashing. But yeah, she's the—I don't know—she's got the big desk, and she's got the you know the drawer with the big bottle of liquor right. in it, and she's taking on cases. And you know, when I see Veronica uh, behind the big desk, uh, you know, in the same kind of setting, I'm thinking, oh man, I wonder uh, if they're going to go for the same kind of thing. Like, is she going to be really cynical? You know, she's not going to trust anybody, right? Um, how how much of a loner is she going to be, or is she going to like? Uh, also, you know, the movie ends up with Keith in the hospital, and suddenly she's taking over his desk. It seems, and Max yeah. taking over the reset. So, does that? What role does Keith have in this whole? Exactly. Thing? No, that's why I'm curious if in the reboot he will have retired, or if they're still working together. Mm-hmm. And if they are still working together, how does Logan fit into that dynamic? And in the show, um, Veronica. Always seemed to be on this, you know, upward path. You know, probably encouraged by her father. You know, and I, and yeah, the FBI internship was kind of a a goal for her in the third season. But you know, it was getting into college and different things like that. So you know, for the character of Veronica, like, is this it for her? Is she ha- is she going to be happy? Just I don't know. Being the the Batman of uh, Neptune, or is right. she going to move into uh, you know like a bigger city or? what's next for her you know that's what i'm very curious to find out and i know um when i found out that the the show had been um you know booked or picked up by hulu i asked rob i said hey do you want to you want to see my thoughts on the movie before you begin this reboot Mm -hmm. uh and he was like no 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 like he he wanted to kind of 
approach it from a very uninfluenced place. So I have mm-hmm. I have no idea where like what the future of Veronica was going to be and I'd also don't know like if this reboot does well, will there be additional ones or was this kind of like a one-shot deal? I don't know. I mean, The Good Place uh, is pretty big on NBC, but of course that only runs 13 episodes. So I'm right. assuming that Kristen Bell has time. And, you know, it seems like Veronica is kind of her first love, the one that she's, yeah. you know, always wants to go back to. Um, yeah. So I don't know. We'll see. Um, uh, yeah. Also, um, at the end of the movie, we see Weevil joining up with the PCHers again. And he had that, you know, beautiful wife and child. And, but, you know, because of, uh, um, Celeste Kane, he ends up getting shot and then blamed for all that. Right. Right. And it's the corruption. I mean, gosh, one thing about the movie, uh, that, um, kind of stunned me was how corrupt the cops were now. Like, Oh my God. Yes. They're just stopping and frisking and, abusing people and it got a lot darker. Like it wasn't just like before I think it was more incompetence. Yeah. Incompetence. Exactly. And then, yes. And then in, in the, I mean, but I, I assumed that that was to make the stakes high enough that Veronica would then have to, you know, feel compelled to move back to Neptune to be Batman, as you said. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, no, I agree. Total, to, like the racial profiling, the just complete and utter corruption. It just, it takes whatever, whatever had existed in the, the show, the TV episodes, and just like amplifies it by a hundred. It really seemed so, like, uh, you know, like uh, in Back to the Future when uh, they go to the alternate timeline. It's when Keith and Veronica are driving through the street, and yeah, just it just seems like uh, an alternate uh, timeline of Neptune. Yeah. And I wonder what influence uh, Hulu will have and, uh, you know, what what they'll want. They'll just leave them, leave them alone, hands off, or if they'll ask him to lighten it up or darken it more. I know. I'm very curious. I mean, yes, Network with the Handmaid's Tale. So, <laughs> right. Well, that's. I mean, and, and that the thing that's so great about I Zombie, for instance, is that it 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 really has this tonal spectrum. Mm. And so, I'm sort of curious to see if Veronica Mars is going to provide us with that same range. You know, where you have these moments where you're like, "Wow, that's dark," mm-hmm. um, or if it's going to be more kind of like black comedy, snarky. I mean, I feel like knowing Rob is probably going to involve include everything. And uh, I, I can't uh, wrap this up without mentioning that you did get to visit the writer's room for Veronica Mars. Or, I mean, obviously you can't, you know, spoil anything. But, was you know, do you know, can maybe give us like the general attitude? How was everything going? I mean, it was it was I I figured it was like a shot in the dark, you know, because I'd, I'd never been in a writer's room before. And I was just really curious to see yeah. what the vibe was. And I just emailed Rob and said, you know, I don't know. If, like, I'm kind of outside the industry enough that I don't know if certain things are just wildly unorthodox. Like, I'm <laughs> I'm so naive that I'm like, I'm just going to ask. Cause, and, you know, whereas I'm sure some people probably have been totally scandalized that I even asked, but I just emailed him and I said, Hey, I'd love to stop by, you know, I'm just kind of curious to get a sense of what the vibe is like. And he was like, yeah, no problem. Um, and, uh, connected me with his assistant who I then was scheduled, um, like a time to come by. It was good for everybody. And, you know, and I, I said, you know, I just want to be a fly on the wall. And that's really what I was, which was amazing. Like I, 
you know, I, I got there. I think they'd, they'd already been working. Um, I think there were maybe five of them were there. A couple people weren't there. Um, so I got to sit in Kareem's seat because he was not there, sadly. Um, and then it was kind of, you know, they all said hi to me, introduced themselves, and then they acted like I wasn't there. And they just talked about, like, they were, you know, they had, they were working through specifics for a, a, one episode, mm-hmm. but they had, um, around the room, they had sort of written out, uh, the sort of the major plot points and how they would unfold in each of the episodes. So they'd already, they already had like the major, um, elements already planned out. And then now they were sort of going through the individual episodes and figuring out, you know, like, you know, how exactly is this exchange going to take place and that kind of thing. But they already had had all the, all the major things were already sketched out. Uh, and were they all like on a board in front of you or? <laughs> uh, well, it, was, it was literally all around the room. Oh, um, and so I think, I can't remember if it was like push pins or something, but it was mm-hmm. like, you, it, it would literally say like episode one and then everything would be underneath that. Wow. Episode two and everything would be underneath that. And so you could see how, you know, certain story elements evolved over the course of eight episodes or nine episodes or 10 out or I forgot how many there are. <laughs> um, and so I could kind of just sit there and look around and be like, Oh wow, well that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like, you know, the, the little finer details weren't on the walls, but like the big plot points were all on the walls. And so it was kind of like, Oh, okay. And then when they were talking and they were sort of saying like, you know, well, how do we, like, how do we foreshadow this or how, you know, like, cause it's so obviously like they're, they're working on a specific scene, but they're very aware of how that scene is going to fit within the overall arc of the whole uh, season. Mm. Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> oh, no, there's, there's one huge thing that I'm not going to tell you that uh-huh. has to do with Veronica and Logan, but I, my lips are sealed. Uh, marriage, baby. <laughs> I will not accept anything, but, um, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and then also I think, you know, it's totally delightful how many of the characters, uh, are back for the reboot. Oh, I'm excited. You know, I think that's really great. Like I remember I was talking to somebody about it and they, and they said like, Oh, is Kristen Bell going to be in it? I should hope so. <laughs> I was like, I was like pretty much everyone who matters is, <laughs> is in it, which is fantastic. Um, one of my favorite things is, uh, you remember, um, uh, Dick Casablanca's. Yes. Uh, so his dad is in the reboot. We have oh, the nice. character of, of Mr. Dick Casablanca. <laughs> I believe they called him in the, the show Big Dick. Uh, yep. <laughs> exactly. So it's funny to hear them, uh, discussing those details in the writer's yeah. room. And I think Tad Oswalt. Oh, is nice. uh, is uh, is one of the the actor? Just it's very um, it's a great cast. Uh, yeah, and uh, uh, Isabella Vitovic, who was you know Isabel in uh, I Zombie, is supposed to be in this too. So oh hopefully. wow, yeah. I didn't know that. That's yeah. very exciting. yeah. No, the the cast should be stellar. Yeah, um, and the writers all seem like they were in fine form. So. I feel like it should be fantastic. Fingers crossed. We need we need some joy in our lives. Oh, please, yes, <laughs> uh, yeah. Especially uh, this weekend, I I went to see Endgame, and then the Battle of Winterfell is Sunday. So, uh, you know, I'm just being ruined left and right. Uh, oh, don't burn yourself out. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I'm not sure if there's anything else you wanted to chat about as we wrap this no. up. No, thank oh. you so much. I appreciate oh. it, and I. 
can't wait to deconstruct the reboot once it's uh, out there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so, well, thank you for joining me today. Uh, can you just let our listeners know where they can find uh, LA Private Eyes and where they can find you on the internet? Sure. Um, my website is thisisdahlia.com, T-H-I-S-I-S-D-A-H-L-I-A.com. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have info about all my different books on my website, including Going Viral, which we talked about earlier. And LA Private Eyes it should be available at every online uh, seller of books. And it should also be available in your local store if they don't have it you can ask them to pre-order it but it's you know it's got widespread distribution so it shouldn't be hard to track down and uh yeah i'm gonna have to get my signed copy soon yeah (laughs) absolutely absolutely well thank you again um I'd like to let our listeners know that Veronica Mars returns this time on Hulu on July 26th. However, iZombie returns for its final season in just a few days on May 2nd at 8 p.m. on The CW. So make sure to tune in and join us as we watch our friends Liv, Ravi, Clive, Major, Peyton, Basio, and, uh, you know, those frenemies, uh, Blaine and Donnie, ride into the hopefully not completely apocalyptic sunset. Uh, have a great week. So- we may... Oh, go ahead. So, I was going to say, so much excitement. So much excitement. Oh, gosh. I am <laughs> so, so excited. Uh, so uh, we may be back for another bonus episode before the season five premiere. So stay tuned. And uh, if not, uh, have a great week, everybody. And uh, thanks again, Dahlia. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the iZombie Podcast with Robin and Steph. Send your feedback to iZombiePodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter and on Facebook. Just search for iZombie Podcast, all one word. All of our contact info is on our website, iZombiePodcast.com. You can follow Steph on Twitter at Steph Smith. You can follow Robin as well at El Robinero. Our podcast logo is designed by D. Sheehan. You can find her work at Behance.net slash Deanna Sheehan. Also, a friend of the show, Cheyenne, contributes with Photoshops on our Twitter. Follow her at iZombieLove. Check out our other podcast. You can listen to us binge cast through teen dramas like Dawson's Creek and Popular. Just subscribe to We Don't Want to Wait on iTunes. You can also listen to us occasionally talk about the Buffy spinoff Angel with our friends. Subscribe to Redemption Cast on iTunes. While you're on iTunes, why not leave us a review? We do this in our spare time so your ratings and reviews are much appreciated and helps us get seen by more iZombie fans. And make sure it's on the correct feed. We are the iZombie Podcast with Robin and Steph. And we're done. You think anyone is still listening? Probably not. Zombies! Zombies!